I'm not nice and I don't seek to be respectable. I'm not asking y'all for anything because y'all can't and won't be both my savior and my oppressor. Um, I don't want reform. I want to turn this building into luxury, low-cost housing. These will make some really nice apartments to me. Firstly, stop using black children as photo opportunities because they're cute now, but in 10 years, they're black male suspect in red shirt and khaki shorts. Eating cookies and drinking milk with children does not absolve you of your complicity in their oppression and denigration, Rick Smith. Because Kansas City will spend more on police than education and then try to encourage children to feast with their oppressors. Y'all are really weird. It's asinine to be called radical or homegrown terrorists for not wanting government employees to kill citizens in any instance. So I'm not here begging anything of soulless white folks and self-preserving black folks. You get one life and you all in this room have chosen profits over people. Welcome to the conversation. I'm Anna Kasparian and the video that you just watched was a video that certainly inspired me and made me want to reach out to the woman who's featured in it, KJ Brooks. She's a community organizer and activist based in Kansas City, whose impassioned speech about police brutality went viral last week. Co-founder and activist organization, the Chingona Collective, a group of fight, a group fighting for liberation led by black, indigenous and Latinx women. Brooks is no stranger to speaking up for her community. Although she wasn't originally intending to speak to the board of police Commissioner's meeting. Brooks used that opportunity to very personally, as you guys witnessed, hold its members accountable for the brutalization and murder of black people in Kansas City. KJ, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. Thank you. So, you know, I was so impressed by the fact that you raised so many issues in two minutes. I mean, the, the heart of your message there was about the brutalization of the black community, which you know we can see that throughout the country. Um, but you also touched on many other issues, including the need for affordable housing. You talked about the PR stunts that police departments like to pull where they'll do uh, certain photo opportunities uh, with young black children and then later on they go to demonize and criminalize them. And so I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how you prepared for that incredible statement. Because I think it takes a lot to be so comprehensive in such a short period of time. Um, I wrote that as I was sitting in the crowd. I was just going based wow. off a lot of their Actions um, at the beginning of the meeting, they had a local pastor come up who presented us a slideshow of the Kansas City Police Department doing what they call community outreach in the black neighborhoods in Kansas City. So they were like playing catch, running around, laughing, and then it was just a really particularly eerie video of a KCPD officer and a young black boy who had to be around like five or six. And I'm like, they're so cute and adorable now, but you know, once they start to get a little bigger or start to get a little older, then they're threatening. Um, so I, I made sure to add that in there because I felt like it was just kind of a, it was kind of insulting to us as activists to try to lighten our words and try to, you know, look, look, guys, we're building a rapport with the community. So I definitely had to add that in. 
But I, I literally sat in the audience and I wrote that speech. Um, I started off with, I'm not nice and I don't seek to be respectable. Um, a lot of the people who went prior to me were like, good morning, Mr. Commissioner, Mr. Mayor, thank you for this opportunity to speak. And I'm like, that's my chair you're sitting in. These are my lights you're speaking under. That's my microphone you're mm-hmm. talking into. I don't have to be nice to you. Um, so I just made, I wanted to come off a certain way because I felt as if they were being pacified a lot by a lot of other people and I'm not here to pacify you. People are dying. So you being offended or uncomfortable for a few minutes is nothing in comparison to the dead black people here in Kansas City. I feel like there's a tremendous amount of pressure on women and especially black women to essentially behave a certain way to break these ridiculous stereotypes. And so I remember when Kamala Harris was debating Mike Pence you know, I personally felt a lot of frustration because I felt like, you know, Mike Pence and Donald Trump, they're a target rich environment. Like, if you're gonna be on that debate stage, go get them, you know? And I know that she has the ability to do that as someone who's questioned people who have testified under oath during some of these Senate hearings. And a lot of the pushback I got when I said something like that was, well, you don't know what it's like to be a black woman. You have to essentially try to share your message in like a calm, cool, collected kind of way. But I mean, I feel like we're dealing with this asymmetrical situation where it doesn't matter how the message is delivered. I think that, you know, people who want to be your opponents are going to find ways to dismiss you and minimize the message anyway. And so, you know, I know this is more commentary than a question, but I really appreciated that you opened your statement with, I'm not nice. I'm here to actually say something and to hold people accountable. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on you know, the aftermath of, of that statement. Um, what kind of reaction did you receive from the city, from the police department? Has there been any form of intimidation that followed your statement? Um, yes, so after the meeting, everything was relatively normal um, for a few hours. I This is like a regular occurrence for me. Like I call the mayor out every chance I get to. Um, he texted me in the meeting and it was like, I almost miss you back there. It's good to see you, like trying to, trying to start off happy because he saw my name on the speakers list, even though they tried to skip me at the end, but I stood up and was like, I signed up to speak. Um, but the aftermath was like really overwhelming to say the least. Um, because I do this like on a regular basis, like a lot of the older activists and community organizers, civil rights leaders, my comrades and everything, they know that I'm gonna hold people accountable irregardless of whether it be in the activism space or in government, in the police department, I don't, at a grocery store. Um, I'm gonna hold people accountable for the things that they do and say to people. So I just didn't really anticipate it going viral or becoming so big. Um, and I'm and I thank God that I had a little bit of naiveness to me because I was acting normally and that's how I caught KCPD in my apartment complex parking lot at 11 o'clock at night. Um, I went to a friend's wow. party in Mission, Kansas, which is about 20 minutes away from where I live. And I got back and I normally sit out in my apartment lot just hanging out late at night just to, you know, scrolling on Twitter, hanging out. And I kind of even forgot about the video. It had been a good three days since it went viral. and. I saw a car that I had seen twice before 
earlier in the day, I had a photo shoot at four o'clock and 818 drove through the street. Um, and I remembered it because it's two more than 816 and that's our area code. And then it was a black man and a white woman in the car. So I have a, a very stringent memory. Um, and then I went to 35th and Prospect, which is like considered the worst worst neighborhood here in Kansas City to some um, and did a trunk or treat event and I saw the same car. But thankfully I saw it and I snatched people up. I was like, look, it's the same car from earlier. So I was sitting out in my apartment complex at 11 o'clock at night and lo and behold, the same car. And they drove through like three times. And the way that my street is set up, you literally can just drive down that street. You, There's really no reason to come back because it's kind of like a U-shaped lot. So there's really no reason to even come back there. Um, so that's when I realized like they're up to something, like they're up to something. So that's when I started to take my security a little more serious and kind of remember the Ferguson protesters and activists who were killed um, in very, inconspicuous ways or just like very mm -hmm. indirect ways. Um, hence why I made that post how KCPD will try to kill me. Um, I just wanted to get like every possibility that I've thought of at the moment out because um, we do know what they're capable of. I challenged a very intricate system full of very rich people who have, who have ties to the royals, to every government entity that I could imagine. Um, so I just wanted to get out to the general public like I'm mentally competent, you know, I'm all right. And you know, that's what they're planning or might be planning to do. Yeah, I mean, and you mean the Kansas City Royals, just in case anyone's wondering, you know, what you were referring to there. You mentioned that in the statement, the various people who are tied to the police department who have, you know, Various corporate interests, uh, who you know own sports teams. Um, you called people out by name. Can you talk a little bit? And you know, I've been watching more and more of your stuff. You know, you do these awesome Q and A's on social media, and you know your politics on um, an economic system that actually works for people um, is very similar to what I believe in. And so, can you talk about? What the purpose in your mind is of the police? Like, what are they really there to protect? And how does that play a role, especially when you consider all the various corporate ties these officials have within the Kansas City Police Department? Um, I think that their sole purpose is to protect the white bourgeoisie class and property. Um, we've seen them come out in full riot gear, tear gas canisters ready 500 at a time um, to protect a building. Um, I don't think that they exist to serve and protect the black communities because if that was the case, 82% of the homicides this year, we've had around 154 homicides thus far, um, have been to black men. Um, if they were so interested in serving and protecting our community, there would be a conscientious effort to curb gun violence and to you know invest in the community, divest from Kansas City Police Department. But they don't want that. Like I made a whole Twitter thread about like how gun violence is directly related to the police department. Um, they like the idea that we kill each other because then the people who live west of truth in the rich areas feel unsafe and are willing to pour more of their tax dollars into the police than they are into the schools. Um, 155 homicides, that sounds, it sounds idiotic to say defund the police. What do you mean defund the police? We have 155 homicides. 
So I think that the police literally serve to protect white people and white interests in Kansas City and to protect property because I haven't seen them make an effort to protect black people. Um, I haven't seen them make an effort to reach out to the community outside of doing cookie and milk events with children that they will despise in 15 years. Um, So I don't think that they exist for us at all. One of your beliefs is that reforming the police department is not enough. You know, you refer to them as your suppressors, and it's impossible to reform suppressors. And so you very much believe in abolishing the police. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? And how do you envision policing, or maybe not even policing, how do you envision keeping communities safe in a way that's equal for all? Um, The policing system as we know it is directly derivative from slavery. So you can't reform something that's origin was made to to catch, capture and re-enslave people. Um, that's it's just idiotic to me to believe that we can you know offer new ordinances or offer new policy changes that will make them less violent and that will make them, you know, less historically terroristic to the black community. People see all of these black and white photos from the 1960s of these officers literally hosing people down, beating them with batons, etc., and think that we can go from that to police not killing people in all of like less than 100 years. Um, so to, to me, I believe divesting from the police or just abolishing the police and just in general um, would be of help and how And how we go about doing that is investing into life affirming institutions. A lot of crime in Kansas City are, we've had the highest, this year has had the highest homicide rate. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. People turn to crime out of need. If we invest into what people need, they won't commit crimes and we won't need police. But when we spend such an exorbitant amount of our city budget, $273 million on the police department and spend $2 million on homelessness this year, then you're going to get people who find it appropriate to rob and steal and kill and do what's necessary to survive. Um, We're a very capitalistic society, people need we need money to survive. So I believe that you know reallocating those police funds and just reinvesting into things that matter to the community. East of Truce, we have, everyone says it, we have no roller rinks, we have no parks, we have nothing that really affirms the humanity of black people in, in, in our parts of cities. So they want us to act humane as they say, without giving us humane institutions and, and things to do. So I believe that Abolishing the police and focusing more on community policing and just getting to know the community. We're very disconnected from each other. There's a lot of when you're poor and angry, there's nothing to do but fight each other. There's no driving out to golf courses and having fun. So I believe that once we are finally able to get some of the funds that KCPD sucks up from our city, that we'll start to see systemic changes here. Has there been any movement in a positive direction when it comes to what you're advocating for? Has there been any real substantive discussion about redirecting police funding toward some of the initiatives that you've mentioned, whether it's affordable housing or I love that you mentioned parks and other you know, communal places where people can kind of get together and enjoy one another's company. Has there been any effort or any movement in the right direction on that? Um. I will say yes to 
So they are going through an 11% budget cut at the Kansas City Police Department, but that budget cut isn't out of, you know, finally seeing the inherent value of investing in our communities. It's more of along the lines of we need to suck money to other programs that aren't the police. So it's not like they're going to directly invest in parks and everything. So the Kansas City Police Department is currently slated to be cut by 11%. Um, but whether or not those funds will go into our communities, only time will tell. Um, the mayor is, he launched a reform program. It's like some, I, girl, <laughs> he launched something and mm-hmm. I had my say on it. I've talked to him several times about it, um, but he's not really interested in, you know, directly. Th- I just spoke with him yesterday too. He's not really interested in directly threatening our oppressors. Um, they helped him get elected. They're keeping him in office. You know, when you're comfortable, you're not really willing to put anything on the line, um, even if it means speaking up for what is inherently right. So it's a really a matter of whether or not time will tell. Um, I can't say what the government will do, but I will say that we here in Kansas City, the activists, um, do invest in our communities. We do several community engagement events. We've done grocery buybacks where we give twenty dollars to every Black person who comes through the line. Um, our first time doing that. Excuse me, our first time uh, doing that. I watched a man, he had his total was around $6 and he had a $10 bill. And we walked up, handed him the money, and he literally started crying. He was like, You don't even know how much this means to me, little lady. So, where our government lacks, we will always show up for our people, irregardless of their inadequacies. You know, one of the one of the components of the Breonna Taylor story that I think didn't really get much attention was the fact that, you know, gentrification plays a huge role in aggressive policing, you know, essentially to push communities, especially black communities out of neighborhoods that they've lived in for decades in order to make room for real estate development, high rise luxury condos, things like that. I'm curious if you guys have been experiencing a similar trend in Kansas City. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the only yeah. answer. I have. Um, I actually moved, and it's crazy how life works. Um, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and they gentrified our neighborhood. It is now a Walmart neighborhood market, um, and I have every intention of going down there on Thursday and taking a picture in what used to be my childhood home, what is now like an aisle three of a neighborhood market. Um, but that gentrification in Savannah, Georgia, led us to come back up here to Kansas, essentially. Um, but yes, Kansas City is deeply gentrified. Um, It's going through a really inconspicuous stage where they slowly but surely are creeping upon our historically black neighborhoods and slowly but surely inching people out and nicer, nicer luxury apartments are being brought up in their places. And people kind of are, we know what it's we know what we're going through, but we didn't. We don't know what to call it. Like in eighth grade, I didn't know what I was experiencing was gentrification, but now I can name it and claim it and and do something about it. But Kansas City is definitely being gentrified, like undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you're seeing it all across the country, and it's definitely contributing to homelessness. Um, people are living out of their cars in in Los Angeles. You see RVs parked everywhere, uh, where people, you know, 
they consider themselves lucky that they're not living in a homeless encampment in a tent and that they have an RV. Um, and it's just such a disgusting situation because I remember my childhood, you know, there was something very similar going on in Hollywood where, you know, Hollywood has like this big glowing name in public, but um, it, it was not in good shape a few decades ago. Let me just put it that way. And so, I remember the city leaders kind of selling the gentrification. They didn't use that word, but selling it as, "Oh, we're we're improving your community. We're building, you know, new businesses. This is great." And then, sure enough, you know, my aunt and her family got priced out of Hollywood, and and you know, didn't really know where to go. So, um, it's per, this is such a personal issue for so many people, and I think that policing, you're right, is a huge part of assisting with that effort to push communities out of the neighborhoods that they've lived in for so long. We only have a few more minutes left and KJ, I really hope that you know, you'll be willing to come back and speak to us again. Cuz I think that you know, you have such an important message and I wanna be able to talk to you in depth on all of these issues. But since we have such limited time, I do wanna ask you one final question. So Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won the presidential election. There are a lot of people celebrating because this means that Trump will no longer be president. And of course, people are celebrating the fact that we have our first black female vice president. I wanted to get your reaction to it. Is this a major step forward for the activism that you've been working tirelessly on? Or are you a little more skeptical about you know, some of the messaging coming from the Biden-Harris campaign? Um, I think as black people, it's important to savor every victory. So while a lot of others take the political pessimistic side of we're picking the lesser of two evils, um, I'm picking the candidate with not a white supremacist following. Um, Joe Biden's following is 29 year old coffee connoisseurs who gentrify Kansas City um, with uh, Black Lives Matter flags in their yards. So if it comes to a revolution, I'm going with the people who won't, um, who didn't, we're sold out of ammo here in Missouri. So I'm going with the following who didn't sell out of ammo and are terrorizing our communities with their white supremacist ideologies. So I think it's a major step forward. It'll be a lot easier to pass reform through. It'll be a lot easier to you know slowly but surely build to the idea of abolishing the police, which would have been impossible under the Trump administration. And I don't think a lot of people realize he has white supremacist ties. He does not condemn white supremacists. So I'm going with the lesser of two evils and it sucks that we have to pick that. But that's what we're working towards is not having to pick the lesser of two evils. So I'm yeah. so sorry to the political pessimists who think that you know it's the end all be all for having two crappy candidates. But at least our queer communities, our BIPOC communities and our marginalized communities can sleep a little easier knowing that we don't have to go out every day and be terrorized by people who feel emboldened by the president of the United States of America, so. And then I lied, one final question because I've been <laughs> dying to know myself. Do you have any plans to run for elected office? Um, I'm only 20, so I have about five years or so. But yeah, definitely if the community I reside in feels me fit. Um, I'm not sure at the moment whether or not that would be Kansas City or if I'll be called to go elsewhere. Um, but if the community I've reside in sees me fit and you know I see myself fit then definitely. Um, but I think a lot of politicians start from the top up. So they go to college and then they come back to the community and pander to the community and try to get their needs and you know make a bunch of false promises that they can't fulfill. So I kind of wanted to take the opposite route and you know 
community organizing, actually knowing people in the community. Like I go out now and people recognize me, like mostly black people, but they just know me and just hit me with the like, I see you sister. So I wanna start Love that it. way first and then exalt myself as a politician. But I don't think it's really my place to you know, delegate myself as a politician. Cuz that's how we got in this mess is a bunch of rich people who don't understand the lower class problems, BIPOC people and marginalized people um, making themselves our leaders and they're not equipped to fairly and equally represent us. Yeah, I, I I can't believe you're only 20 years old. That's amazing. <laughs> you're so incredible. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. KJ Brooks, make sure you guys check her out on social media. Follow her activism support in any way you can. KJ, thank you again. Thank you.